Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Jake Gibbs is an interesting character. Not only does he represent the Council District 3 in the Lexington Urban County Government, Jake taught thousands of students history and logic at the Bluegrass Community and Technical College from 1988 to 2014, and he is a leading expert on the Haldeman Julius Little Blue Book series. Little Blue Books are a series of small books published from 1919 through 1978. They were extremely popular, I'm going to guess all over the world, Jake. Uh, According to Wikipedia, between 300 and 500 million booklets were sold over the series' lifetime. In 2007, Jake Gibbs was awarded a research fellowship by the Bibliographical Society of America to work on a descriptive bibliography of the 2300 titles in the Little Blue Book series. Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. For all of uh, those who know you uh, in and around town and all your students, um, I have to say this was a surprise to me to learn on Facebook uh, that you were um, a collector of little blue books and that you have been awarded this uh, uh, honor, I I guess it is, but a lot of work too. So just first of all, let's just begin at the beginning and... and, uh, have you tell us about the um, the man, uh, Emmanuel Haldeman Julius. Yes. Uh, his name was original Emmanuel Julius. Uh, he was born in Philadelphia of a Jewish, Amer- Jewish-Russian immigrant family uh, and uh, grew up not in extreme poverty, but you know, not in great shape. Dropped out of school when he was probably 14 or 15. Uh, but he read a lot. He eventually got a job working for socialist newspapers, were pretty popular back in those days, and eventually got hired at the Appeal to Reason, which was the largest uh, socialist weekly in the country. And there he met a banker's daughter, uh, Marcette Haldeman. They got married in 1916 and hyphenated their names, made it Haldeman Julius. And they both used Haldeman Julius for the rest of their lives, even after they, devo- even after they broke up in the 30s. So tell us about... Um how you first discovered uh, Haldeman Julius. And when we talk about little blue books, because we're doing a podcast and not a television uh, program, or we don't have pictures, although I think we can take a picture and put this on our website. Um, What is a a little blue book and how did they uh, originate? Well, Haldeman Julius claims that when he was about 15, he read a, bought a cheap copy of... uh, Oscar Wilde's The Ballad of Reading Jail, and read it in the middle of winter on a park bench and just got carried off by it and claimed that he thought it'd be wonderful if there was cheap literature available to the masses. And then about 10 years later, um, he was in a position, he'd married the banker's daughter, he was working for the socialist newspaper, and he decided to carry out his dream. And so he took copies of uh, the Robbie out of Omar Khayyam and uh, the Ballad of Reading Jail to his chief printer and said, lay these out in you know five, five inches by three and a half inches and we'll start selling these really cheap. 
And uh, so they just did those two. I'm not sure he really knew he was going to do a series, but it just he did more and more, and it just grew from there. And eventually he published about 2,300 titles. So once again, when we are um, uh, describing this, uh, you said five and a half inches. Yeah, about five inches high, three and a half inches wide. So really small. And, and typically, how many pages in, in each? Uh, usually 64 pages. Um, as time went on, he tried to cut them down to 32 as best he could to save money. Uh, some of them run as high as like maybe 128, 160, but eventually he got rid of all those because they were too expensive to print. And uh, the titles uh, and the subject matter uh, began with, with literary uh, works, but then uh, soon uh, common titles, and, and you uh, have shown me some of those, but you probably know them all by, by memory uh, or a lot of them. Um, how did he then discover, and he continued with the literary work, I'm sure, and, and certainly with authors that people would know. Uh, you just showed me, well, Shakespeare, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Jack London. Uh, you mentioned O. Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are uh, a lot of other, and the subject matter that might not be exactly mainstream in, in that period of, in, in our country. Yeah. Oh, well, he started, the series went through an evolution. You know, he started out doing, oh, he always did literature from the beginning, uh, but he did a lot of free thought, you know, agnostic, uh, atheist stuff, which was you know, what he believed, uh, and did a lot of pro-socialist stuff. And then as the series went on, you know, socialism started to drop off uh, with the Red Scare and became less popular, and so he discontinued a lot of the socialist titles. Uh, but he was really into what you know you would call these days uplift of the masses, and he was explicit about that. He's trying to get good literature in the hands of people, and that's why he published all of Shakespeare, you know, Jack London. I mean, uh, I mean there are uh, short books of Italian short stories, Spanish short stories. I mean, anything you can imagine is in this series. Lots of poetry, but by the time we get about 1925 or so, he started to get interest, more interested in making money, and he started to drop a lot of the, you know titles that didn't like Greek plays and Latin plays that weren't selling very well and started to do more things with sex in the title uh, you know and how to find a husband you know are petting parties uh, dangerous uh, things that really racy he was also known for uh, changing titles if a title wasn't selling very well he would sometimes he would sometimes he'd drop the title entirely and replace it with another one but oftentimes he'd uh, actually, I'm sorry to digress, but he was so popular by 1927, he was approached by Simon & Schuster about writing a book about wh- how he did it. Uh, and he called it, he, he pu- was published in 1928 by Simon and & Schuster, and it's called The First Hundred Million. And in The First Hundred Million, he's got a chapter on the morgue. What happens when a title doesn't sell, you send it to the, oh. <laughs> you know, they, they, have, they uh-huh. kill it. Uh, but before that, there's a title called uh, The Hospital. And so that meant he and his editors would look at the title and sometimes just change the title to make it something snappier, oftentimes by adding sex to the title. And so uh, uh, a, a title by, uh, you know, say, de Maupassant, is that how you say it? Is it the French author, uh, The Tallow Ball, um, was about a French prostitute, uh, but the title was The Tallow Ball. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they changed the title to The French Prostitute Sacrifice, and the word prostitute caused the, the title to triple in sales. <laughs> so he was notorious for doing that, and it drove some people crazy. He promised never to do it to a Shakespeare title, thank God. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, he, was a, he was a real showman, and, uh, but as time went on, more and more 
you know, he always was putting out literature. He didn't really publish any titles after about 1943, um, but he's always putting out literature. But he was it, it got seedier and seedier as time went on, I guess. So from 1943 to 1978, there were no new. He didn't publish titles. Any, he did not publish any titles. He died in kind of an interesting accident. He was uh, he drowned in a swimming pool in 1951, uh, so he had not published any titles for several years at that point. Uh, then his son Henry took over, and his son Henry, you know, published just a handful of titles, most of them like really bad. Um, some of them were just, you know, some were joke books, things like that. One, one of them is uh, that Henry published has an illustrated wrapper of an old guy sitting around, and the title is Your, Your Sex Life After 80, and you open it up, and it's 32 blank pages. <laughs> so yeah, so he, he was down to doing stuff like that. You know, it's, it's a long way from Shakespeare. Yeah. So, uh, but and then his son carried on the company until 1978, and he just, it just sold it, and uh, there was a fire in the plant, probably from fireworks on the 4th of July, and the plant and all the equipment was destroyed at that point, and he had sold some of the inventory and somebody continued to sell that inventory for a couple of years but really 1978 was the end of it how did you get interested in the collection uh i don't know if you knew bob Caston. he was a professor in the uh, library science school and I, I got a library science degree back in the mid 80s and uh, i was taking a course in the history of books and printing and i gotten kind of friendly with bob and he knew i had an interest in the history of socialism and so he showed me some of those um, and for his class, I wrote a, a term paper on Upton Sinclair, and Sinclair had a lot of titles in the series as well. In fact, Sinclair thought about buying the press at one point in the 1920s. Mm. Uh, like The Jungle is published in this series, over uh, six books of 96 pages each. It's one of the few that was published in you know, multi-volume. Uh, so through my interest, you know, Bob told me about it, my interest in uh, Upton Sinclair led me to pick up a couple here and there. Uh, Bob didn't tell me they were addictive. Uh, and then I got more and more. And then uh, uh, around 2000, I got very friendly with another collector. Uh, he was uh, actually was a dean of the art school at Yale, uh, Richard Chip Benson. And Chip and I decided to we you know, there was no bibliography. Uh, a guy named Thomas Tansel, who's very famous in history of books and printing, also a Melville scholar and former president of the Guggenheim Foundation, had written an article about in 1970 about the need for a bibliography in the series, how important it was to the cultural history of America. And Chip and I had both read that, and we said, what the hell, let's do it. Uh, so Chip and I started working on the bibliography together, and then he dropped out of the project because he was just too busy. But he gave me his collection. Chip oh. had probably 12,000, 15,000 little blue books. And I rented the cargo van and, <laughs> and drove up to New England and came back with. So much of my, much of my collection came from Chip. Yeah. So how many uh, do you presently have? Uh, I'm down to probably 12,000 books or so. Yeah, I've given a lot of But at of one time years. you had how many? At one time I had about 20,000. And I probably have the second largest collection in the world. The, um, the largest collection in the world is at Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas, which is only about 10 miles from Girard, Kansas, where the books were published. So since 1960s, they've been collecting, collecting, and they have a massive collection. And now that I'm done with my bibliography, I'll be taking my collection and breaking up into send it to various other collections, like a lot will go to uh, Pittsburgh State. Uh, a lot will go to Bridgewater State in Massachusetts. Cause they, they are also a collector? Yeah, they're trying to build a collection. I'm trying to help them. 
uh, Washburn University in Kansas is trying to build a collection. So I'm, I'm trying to help these people build their collection. I'm going to hold on to one of each title. Uh, just because I don't want to give out the whole thing, but uh. so uh, explain to me this: the 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 curiosity and the interest from uh, the latter two universities that you mentioned. Now, I can understand Pittsburgh State, yeah, because they're so close to uh, uh, Gerard. Is that Ger- the uh, Gerard? Gerard, Kansas. But why why would somebody at this point um, in their uh, scholastic endeavor want to begin a, a collection? Well, I think they're, they're really historically significant for the cultural history, particularly the 1920s and early 30s when they were originally published. It gives you, uh, it gives you an idea of what the reading public was interested in. And, it, and as tacky as some of the stuff that Haldeman Julius did, like dropping you know, a, a title by, say, you know, Euripides to carry a joke book, mm-hmm. uh, it gives you an idea of what people were interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, my, my bibliography helps you figure out which books were more popular because my bibliography tracks each of the, uh, every printing of the, of the books. But I think a university today would like to have them because if they have students who are studying the, the cultural history of the 1920s and 30s, or if they're interested in history of books and printing, these would be a real resource. I- Long before eBay, where you said you found some of the books uh, after eBay was established through the Internet, what were the, the, the sources that you went to uh, to purchase or begin your collection? Oh, I'd find them at yard, si- yard sales occasionally. Really? Yeah. Where? Oh, just anywhere. I mean, people had these up in their attic for years and years, and that's where the ones show up on eBay now. People are, like, cleaning out Grandma's attic, and they find 20 or 200 and you know some sometimes even more uh you know they, they sold so many of these you know they they were they were just everywhere uh you know you'd find them in used bookstores you know um mike coughlin over at black swan yeah yeah you know, last i was in there mike had 10 or 12 of them really yeah so if you if you ask a bookseller a lot of times booksellers don't know about them but you know yeah a guy like mike knows quite, sure. quite a bit about them so uh used uh, bookstores uh, usually that's the uh, I'll bet you in D.C., Washington, um, which is uh, infamous for a number of uh, quality uh, uh, older bookstores, uh, w- would probably have some, I- I'm sure, unless somebody's already gone in there and bought them all up. Yeah, it, it's possible. Um, trying to think of the one just off DuPont Square. You know, I'm not familiar. I'm yeah. kind of embarrassed. I've, I've yeah. never been to D.C. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll have to check the, the, the next time I'm there. So, uh, in, in, tell me, uh, in 2007, did you apply for uh, the research fellowship? Yeah. A- and tell me how all of that happened, and was there only one given out at that time? Uh, no, the Bibliographical Society of America gives out 10 or 12 uh, fellowships a year. And I think when I got interested in this project, I, th- I think probably Tom Tanzel directed me to it. Um, uh, and so I went ahead and applied for it, and I think Tom wrote me a letter of recommendation, and they gave me a couple thousand dollars, and I spent the summer in Kansas. Yeah, you know, I traveled a lot for this project because I had to track down every major collection to try to find every edition. So this isn't just, if you get into my bibliography, after each entry, it has a series of letters that, that describes where that book is. If it just says G, that's my yeah. collection. If it says GP, that means it's my collection and Pittsburgh, Kansas. But altogether, I went to 23 universities throughout the country, all the way from Yale. Yale has a collection. Uh, all, the, all the way out to um, Northridge uh, State University in Southern California. And so I spent a lot of time away from home. 
uh, I trained my daughters in, in, in the system. You know, you have to classify each book. And my daughters, when they were in their early teens, when I was doing most of the work, I hauled them all over the place yeah. and put them to work. But we, we had a great time. They were, in yeah. they were in Kansas with me for a couple weeks at a time. And, yeah. Uh, but no, I had I traveled all over the place tracking down uh, tracking down books. So uh, again, let's talk a little bit more about that process. So you, you went to, to Yale or you went to Kansas. Um, you would knock on somebody's door. Uh, you knew where the collection was. Yeah. Uh, and, and then what happened? Well, typically you know, you write you write ahead of time and say I'm interested in Holman and Julius Lupa books and I'm coming to look at them and they'll they'll have them ready for me. Uh, you know, these are always in special collections. I'm not sure how many of your uh, listeners have been to special collections, but there's always very high security at them and they they limit how many books you can look at at the time. But uh, usually they make an exception for me because I was going through you know, looking at hundreds of books. So they wouldn't make me request one book at a time. They would bring a couple hundred to me, and it would take me an hour or so to go mm-hmm. through a couple hundred. And I'd give some to the girls if they were mm-hmm. there and go through them and just go through them. And so you would open up one. What are, what are you looking for there? What, what, are you, what are you recording? Well, the bibliography has uh, the title and has the content. By the way, tell, tell people before we go any further, where is the bibliography available? It's available on, online. Uh, I decided it was so large it was crazy to kill trees for it. And uh, if it's online, it's searchable. Uh, and the URL is uh, www.littlebluebooksbibliography.com. So okay. littlebluebooksbibliography.com. Okay. So you, you're, you're uh, in a, a library or a special collection and, and what happens? Yeah. Well, I, 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 pick, I pick up a book, and hopefully I've already, it's in my, some version of it's in my collection, so the contents are already in there. Uh, but if this is a book I've not seen before, title I've not seen before, I list the entire contents of the book. And then, uh, I, then I list the wrapper. The wrapper, is a, that's a technical name for the cover. In most cases, you know, by the time I get to the library, I've got, I've seen that book before, and the uh, contents are listed, and I just need to record the wrapper. You know, sometimes a, a, sing, a, a book may have been issued 20, 30 different times, and oftentimes they change the wrapper. They change the color. Even though they're called Little Blue Books, they came in every, every color imaginable. Um, and uh, they, there are various logos. There's union logos. There's portraits of the author. So, you know, each, so if you have a book that has... You know, two different books that have different logos on them. That means they were printed at different times. And so, what my kids were especially trained in is, you know, listing the uh, recognizing a wrapper. And so, and we had this whole system worked out to describe a wrapper using abbreviations. Uh, so we, you just recorded it, and then you went on to the next book. So by the time I was toward the end of the project, I'd seen nearly everything. So I just go through really quickly and just you know enter into the database, but. At first, it was really, really tedious because, you know, when I first went to Kansas, there were a lot of books I didn't have yet in my possession. And so I'm there, you know, listing the table of contents. A book might have five short stories in it. A book might have 100 poems in it. So that, that's why this uh, bibliography is 722 pages. <laughs> um, how did you know that you had um, already previously seen uh, the contents of one of the books, even though the cover was changed, you just stare at it. <laughs> is basically it. You, know, but, you, but can, you can do. It pre- seemed like you would have to read the contents. No, you just have to look really at the first page and the last page. Oh, yeah. okay. And if they had the same pagination, if it was still sixty-four pages, 
uh, you, you were you were okay. And he said, and you said that Haldeman Julius um, made all of them. Uh, the same length. He tried. He tried to started out trying to make them roughly 64, 60, Well, not roughly sixty four. Sixty four was good. A lot of times they'd come in at fifty five, and he'd fill the rest with uh, advertising material. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, uh, th- that that somebody bought, I guess. I mean, he sold that. So solely advertising. Oh no, it's always ever. Almost always advertising for his own company. Late in the series, they started advertising for moccasins and all sorts of strange stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, at the beginning, it would be just uh, advertising yeah. for other Haldeman Julius books. Uh, he changed the name of the uh, Appeal to Reason, uh, which is probably the most famous uh, socialist newspaper, the teens. Uh, by 1923, I think it was, he changed the name to the Haldeman Julius Weekly. And then he had a Haldeman Julius Monthly and a Haldeman Julius Quarterly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he published lots of other stuff. And the main books were, uh, blue books were yeah. the mainstay. But you'd have advertising for other things in the back if there was, if there was room. He just filled it in. Some, one of the things interesting about my bibliography is, like, a book may have a title, but that may just be one essay in the, in the book, and nobody's known or no one's recorded the contents of the, the whole contents of the book and since I've done it. And so sometimes your book will have a title, that, you know, and then at the end of the book there might be an essay in there from Jack London or uh, Clarence Darrow that just got thrown in there to take up space. And so there's these little gems in there that you can't detect from the title itself. So the, all that exists until I do my bibliography is a, a listing of the titles. It was done by uh, Pittsburgh State University. But now you can get in there and see the contents. So of the 2,300 titles, you have to have a favorite oh, God. top five. <laughs> or maybe even, I mean, one that really, really stands out or one that, 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 you, that, that, that stunned you in its... Uh, uh, magnitude or in its brilliance or uh, maybe, maybe I, you, you, there has to be some that you can mention. Oh, there's some that I really like. You know, I, I actually haven't, now, I'm a voracious reader. I have a, you know, a very large personal collection of books, history, philosophy, and novels. Um, these, I should mention, these books have eight-point type, so they're kind of yeah. kind of hard on the eye. Yeah. So yeah. if I come across a piece of literature that I'm interested in, in, in seeing the series, uh, I'll go and read them elsewhere. You know, for example, uh-huh. you know, for example there are uh, several uh, books that are filled with Ambrose beer stories, which I really love. But if I see a beer story in there I haven't read before, I go to a volume of beers with re- like regular regular uh-huh. size type. Uh, but I do I do love the beer stories. Um, I just recently read. Uh, there's going to be a performance of the Doll's House, uh, Doll's House by Ibsen. Uh, and that's in the series. It's number 353 in the series. I never read it, so I, I decided to read that the other day. Uh, <laughs> number 353, you know the number. Uh, not every one yeah. of them, but a fair amount. Yeah. Number 122 is very interesting. Um, I mean, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, many of the um, Sherlock Holmes stories are yeah. published in the series. But you would think that Doyle was uh, the eminent rationalist, you know, like Sherlock Holmes thinking always logically. Mm-hmm. Home, uh, Doyle was in, into spiritualism, hmm. and uh, he, there's a f- famous debate between, um, I'm not Sherlock Holmes, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh-huh. and Joseph McCabe, who was a former Catholic priest who wrote for the series, mm-hmm. but who uh, became an, an atheist and hated Catholicism in particular, mm-hmm. but he was absolutely anti-spiritualism. So there was a debate hmm. uh, between those two that got published as a little blue book. 
Another one that I love, I've, I've always loved, from the time I, when I was probably 10 years old, I saw Inherit the Wind, which is you know, roughly mm-hmm. based on the Scopes trial in 1925 in yes. Tennessee. Right. Uh, Alderman Julius and his wife were present for that trial, by the way. Yeah. Um, but you probably know about the famous uh, cross-examination of William Jennings Bryan by, Do- uh, by uh, Clarence Darrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. I just did a, uh, a podcast to Jake. Uh, with Jim Claypool, who is a uh, professor emeritus from Northern Kentucky University, and he brought me a copy of one of his speaker bureau talks uh, entitled Our Fellow Kentuckians, and I was just showing Jake uh, here in the podcast studio, uh, he, he wrote about John Scopes, um, and, uh, and, and we all know that uh, famous uh, Scopes monkey trial in Dayton, Tennessee, so it's funny the way things yeah, happen so, in, in yeah. one day. Yeah, so they, they, it, the series has, uh, you know, there's a volume which is the transcript of Darrow roasting. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so he did. He did actual transcriptions of of things like that. Yeah, there are a lot court of court de- cases and 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 debates and, and debates. Yeah, you know, a, a lot. Of, there are several dozen volumes of debates. Uh, Darrow is in a great many of them. Darrow was a wonderful debater, uh, and he, he loved. And they usually had to do with prohibition. Um, he was opposed. He was opposed to cap- prohibition. He was opposed to capital punishment. Uh, Darrow one time said something like, uh, "You know, I, I will argue the negative for anything because yeah. <laughs> even if I'm not prepared, I can yeah. take on the negative." But yeah. he he was very passionate. If you know anything about him, about mm. birth, about uh, capital punishment, yeah. uh, but also about prohibition. Mm-hmm. He's in, uh, uh, he was also pretty much a determinist. Uh, he he you know, questioned whether human beings really had free will, and so several of the debates had to do with uh, do, mm-hmm. do human beings have free will or something mm-hmm. akin to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darrow was actually close friends with uh, Haldeman Julius and visited him at his home in uh, Gerard, Kansas. Um, th- this has really been, uh, I mean, how many years of your life uh, did, have you devoted to the little blue books? Well, you know, close to 20, but, you know, I did a lot in the meantime. I was teaching city council, raising my children. My girls yeah. are 28 and 25 now. So, you know, throughout most, a lot of this period, I was a very active yeah. parent. So I It's never, really been a big part of your life. But it's, it's been a big part of my life. And one of the best things, you know, I've been all over the country and everywhere I went. I met nice people. Uh, there are many, I've met many people who are collectors of the series, and they tend to be uh, wonderful eccentrics. <laughs> uh, Emmett Fields in Louisville, Kentucky, has a very large collection. I mean, Emmett probably Emmett's a former um, blue collar worker. He's a pattern maker for General Electric for many years, and on the side, collected little blue books and just about anything that has has to do with atheism or agnosticism. And he's probably got the best best collection in the country of atheist agnostic stuff in his basement in Louisville. And you know, he's just like this. And Emmett's 91 years old, sharp, oh. sharp as a tack, and we're like we've been big buddies for like you oh, know that's great. close to 20 years now. Yeah. Uh, but lots of other people throughout the country I've met, and just really interesting characters get get attracted to these books. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, uh, I, I, and I don't know. I, I mentioned to you that um, I, I'm really honestly surprised that I was not aware of them or that didn't see them in in our household because uh, both my parents, especially my mother, was such a, uh, a big reader of everything. Um, and, and you know what? There might still be some around. I'm going to ask some relatives or sisters, my sisters, if, they are, uh, if they've ever seen these. I, so what, what is sort of going to be your, 
how do you want to end up with your uh, in, in your lifetime with the little blue books? You're, you're giving away. You're now you're going to keep what uh, one, of, one of each of the originals? Yeah, one of the, one of each title, and the rest will go to those various libraries I talked about because I'd like to build those. Yeah, I'd like to build those collections. And you will just have your one of each title yeah. um, for your family, um, for you uh, as you get older to. Yeah, for my children, after I'm gone, for my children, yeah. sell at a yard sale, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that very seriously. Not that, I mean, they have a little bit invested in this, too. They, they, they do like them. They, I think they're pretty happy yeah. that they got to participate. Why was Haldeman Julius um, so uh, intent on uh, a sort of relationships, uh, sex, uh, advice, I mean, it was almost like the Ann Landers or maybe the Playboy Advisory. Yeah. I mean, some of the titles are, uh, you know, not racy, but I mean, you know, um, well, what was the one about petting, uh, making oh, out? Yeah, are, are petting parties dangerous? <laughs> Which I would consider pretty much drivel, but, but there is a lot of real se- straight sex talk in the series, which was difficult to get. Uh, you know, Margaret Sanger's famous book about birth control, which was originally published in 1911, and Holden became part of the Little Blue Book series starting in 1920. And then to his, uh, what he, he called himself a sexologist, William Fielding, wrote a whole series of books yeah. for the series, titles for the series, like uh, What Every Young Man Should Know, uh, What Every Married Woman Should Know, What Every Woman Over 40 Should Know. And there were probably... Uh, Oh, what, what everyone should know about homosexuality and things of that sort. And these were really good straight talk on sex, which was really hard to get. And uh, Fielding had 27 uh, some titles, 20 some titles in the series, and he sold the most. He's, you know, his titles were the, oh, really? the best selling. <laughs> uh, I don't sex know. sells. Yes, yeah, sex does sell. And that's, you know, Haldeman Julius has a whole chapter on that in. Um, the, the first hundred million, you know, he, he realized that sex sells. And so... And well, it's, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, Jake, and I'm so glad that, that you shared it with us. Uh, I, I keep thinking in the back of my mind that um, there's, a, uh, there's a, a, a way forward uh, in, at Kentucky Humanities to do something with this. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be today, but uh, thanks for sharing your story. Well, thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky's stories for 46 years. The podcast was produced and edited by Morgan Lowe. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.